Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Lane Norton back on the show. It's been a little while since I've had Lane on and he's a busy guy. So it was fantastic to have some of his time and delve into some of the things that he's been up to personally. So with his recent powerlifting meets and he's also preparing for one, that will have probably happened by the time this is live, but still interesting nonetheless to hear about his training and the approach there. And then digging into kind of what he's up to from a business perspective, how much time does he spend coaching now versus other aspects of the business? How has he grown to such a state and position and been so consistent over the years? Really, really interesting stuff. And then just getting an idea of what his opinion is right now on best practice for hypertrophy. What were his thoughts on the recent meta regression that came out and some interesting thoughts and perspectives as always from Lane. And it was a fun chat. I always have fun talking with Lane. As a reminder, guys, if you want to see more podcasts, if you want to see bigger and better guests, although we have fantastic guests already, do make sure to give us a thumbs up, give us a nice review over on Spotify or the like, share it with your friends, make sure to subscribe. All your support is really, really valued and we thank you for that. Now, before we dig into the show, let's get a word from today's sponsor. Guys, we know how important first impressions are. If you aren't confident in yourself, you're not gonna be perceived in the best way either. And you're not gonna be confident if your skin isn't up to par, if it's not looking great. A lot of skincare products are catered towards women, but with Coldera Lab, they're specifically made for us guys. And it can just help elevate your skin and through that, your confidence. For the last number of months, I've been using their product line through the regimen. And this is really easy thing to just incorporate into your routine and through that, elevate your skin, your confidence, and hopefully your well-being and you can also age more gracefully at least that's the way i feel so that is where you have in the morning you're using the clean slate this freshens up your face it's great for all skin types after that you come on to the base layer so this again just hydrates your skin makes it not look dull for the rest of the day and then as you're going through the day and then through into the evening you can wash your face again using the clean slate and then hydrate yourself through the good. And this is great for helping remove the fine lines, the wrinkles, those sort of things. It has tons of antioxidants in there as well, which has to be a good thing for your skin. And then finally, you're finishing off with the icon. And this is helping those fine lines through the eyes, you know, the kind of areas where some of the wrinkles first develop and appear. And these are all clinically proven. And over 90% of guys who have been using this for an extended period of time have noticed the benefits of doing so. So if you're looking for a skincare product that's catered to men specifically, look no further than Caldera Lab. They are clinically tested and they use fantastic ingredients. And we have an exclusive offer for you today. You can head to calderalab.com, use our discount code REVIVE, and you'll get a nice 20% off your order. Now, thank you for listening to that. Without further ado, let's get into the great chat with Lane Norton. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Lane Norton back on the show. It's been two years now, Lane. 227 was the episode. We're almost up to episode 400 now, so wow. time flies, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I know where it goes, but it certainly doesn't feel like it goes, you know. Any, what do they say? The uh, days are long and the years are short. <laughs> Well, you've been busy. Uh, like I keep up with the stuff that you're doing, Lane, and it, it, there's always something. Uh, you're super consistent in every area of your life, actually, and it's it's inspirational. I think I can speak for like a lot of competitors, but also people in the fitness industry. It's awesome to see someone like yourself just over the years just continue to be like seemingly full throttle. I don't know if that's fair to say, but 
It certainly feels that way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll say, like, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the strongest, but I'll out-volume the hell out of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just that relentless. Actually, I can't think. What was it? It was Outwork, right? You used to have the clothing line Outwork uh, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I had a clothing line called Outwork, but now we have the supplement line called Outwork. Turned out turned out that, uh, you know, I'm not a fashionista. People aren't really into <laughs> buying clothing for me. So missed on that, but the supplement line is doing really well. I, I love the mentality because I had an outwork top. I don't think I it's long gone now because oh, cool. I, I, I like grew out of it, or whatever. But yeah, it was one of my favorite ones at the time because, you know, when it's just a slogan and there's someone behind it that just inspires you, you put it on, you're like, yeah, it's going to be a good session. It was kind of one of those. So oh, maybe yeah. I'll, I'm talking you slowly back into doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have we do have uh, apparel through Outwork Nutrition. So we do, we ah, do have that now. There you go. And... Uh, so the listeners are, know as well, I always like to get an update just on where people are at. You're currently, I think, a month out from the North Americans, like powerlifting meet. Is that right? Two weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks now. Yeah, two weeks. How's yeah, that going? That's, that's just, um, you know, my training for this has not been as good as it's been for North Americans, but I've also been, um, my volume's the highest it's been in, in many years. And so I, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out if it's just I'm performing worse or I'm just dealing with more fatigue and the gym sessions aren't as productive. So it's uh meats are like a box of chocolates. You never really know what you're going to get until you open the box and see what's there on meat day. So, you know, I've, I've been able to be consistent with my training. So there's, you know, there's really no reason that I shouldn't have a good meat. Um, I have been dealing with some pretty stressful personal things, but um, you know, those can impact your recovery, but I have been sleeping pretty well. So, you know, most of the metrics say it should, should do pretty well, but, you know, like I said, we'll we'll see what's there, and I'm always ready to do battle no matter what. Do you have any particular like goals for this particular meet, or is it just one of those where it's you, you're you doing your best? Yeah, win. Yeah. Um. So the the uh, I this kind of came up organically because after I won nationals, the guy uh, Michael Garazzo, who I beat uh, for the M1 93 title, um, you know, I had to go down to the last deadlift to beat him. Uh, which is, it's always so much fun. Um, he's not doing Worlds because Worlds this year is in Mongolia. It's just kind of a real pain in the butt for everybody to get there. And then the uh, Gabriel uh, Garcia, who I beat at Worlds last year, who's the three-time world champion, he's not doing it either because of the because of the travel. And so I kind of was like, you know, maybe some good competitors will show up in Worlds, but here are like two of the top, top guys in my division and they're going to be a two-hour flight away from me at a world-level meet. So kind of felt like, you know, I if it came down to, I'm not sure if I'm going to do Worlds now, um, just because of everything I got going on. But I'd rather go and feel like I beat the top guys or compete with the top guys uh, than go to a world competition that doesn't really feel like a world competition, you know? I think that's like that's true speaking as a true competitor like you're not looking for the easy way out you're looking almost for the hardest route because you know like what matters is what you know not like what a a title says or something like that yeah I mean you know two-time world champ sounds good but I you know at the end of the day I'm you know not making a living off competing in powerlifting I do it because I want to push myself so I think this is the better way to push myself for sure yeah I think I saw there was a that kind of deadlift deadlift off if i can call it that i think i saw a video clip of you being like filmed and i was like i don't think i'd seen I, i've obviously seen you lift before but not in a competition like that and it was just like oh that's like 
I could never imagine myself lifting like that, but I think it's and yeah. even the the other guy, he doesn't have that same temperament. Like everyone has like different ways of approaching oh, lifts yeah. that allows them to I'm, perform I'm, at their best. I'm definitely more over the top, you know, outward, um, outward excitement, you know, style, but that's how I have fun. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of my personality. Anybody knows me knows I'm like super extroverted and loud and talkative. So it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And so that's obviously your own training. Are you still coaching now or uh, do you not coach anyone one-on-one anymore? I have probably about a handful of clients, like five or six clients who I, you know, either um, I did take on like two clients, two or three clients last year, just like at select times, uh, I'll open it up. Um, But for the most part, it's just, you know, people who have stayed on for a really long time. And I've never said, hey, you got to drop off. I just kept them. And, um, you know, we'll see. I just, it, I, I did love my time doing one-on-one coaching, but I just realized that like, I mean, I was, people don't realize this. I did everything myself for a really long time. Like until 2013, if you got an email, a message on social media, on anything, that was me, period. All the videos I put up, I did all that. I edit the videos. Um, I was doing one-on-one coaching. I was competing. I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming, you know? Uh, fortunately, my, AD, my ADHD makes it easy for me to switch between tasks. And I have a really good motor. Um, I've had people tell me that I have the most energy, the most energetic person of anybody they've ever been around. Um <laughs> So like I had that on my side, but it just got to the point where I'm like, I was realizing I was spending so much time doing things that I wasn't really that good at. Um, and now I've kind of, and I was really limited in how many people I could reach, you know, like I, I really, I want to make a, a, a big positive impact. And so a lot of, you know, I really have accelerated my work on social media in terms of like really putting a lot of focus on that because I see it as a, you know, it's a great tool to reach a lot of people. And then I, you know, interestingly, I kind of created a business the the opposite way that you would normally set it up, which is you create the business, the structure, and then through the business and selling your products, you can get somewhat of a, a personal following. I had a huge personal following on my personal brand, but I had nothing to sell people other than one-on-one coaching. And so now I've got pretty much everything built that I never want to build in terms of, you know, I have the nutrition coaching app, Carbon Diet Coach. I've got uh, our team of coaches, so Team BioLane. So they do the one-on-one coaching. And these are people that like we kind of handpicked and then we trained in the way we do things. Um, and then the supplement line, uh, I've got the, you know, the, the training programs on the website, my research review, and then also have now a Physique Coaching Academy, which is my eight-month mentorship program with Bill Campbell. So I've kind of got everything built that I've wanted to build. And now it's just about, you know, bringing that to people. So now the majority of what I do is podcasts and social media and doing a lot of reading of research just to see what's coming out and and keep up on that stuff. And then honestly, quite, quite honestly, spending a lot of time on social media, seeing what people are talking about, because the best way to get a lot of eyeballs uh, is to find a hot topic that people are talking about that is relevant that I can comment on. And so I've always been good about like when, when something comes up and I'll know what's hot because people will be sending it to me 
um, so I can comment quickly on it. And that usually drives a lot of engagement. So I do, you know, people knock social media a lot, but I do spend a lot of time on it because that's how I'm able to keep my finger on the pulse of everything. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, I've never paid for followers. I've never had a marketing company, you know, nothing like that. It's always just been me. And still to this day, like if you get a message, like if I respond to a message on social media, that's me. That's not anybody like running my account. I've never had anybody do that. That's awesome. Yeah, you're coming. I can I say you're close to a million. I mean, you are like 832k. I looked today, and yeah, that's like an yeah. incredible number. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of weird to think about. And, and like now, I definitely have seen. You know, like the, you know, it used to be like, okay, I go to a gym, I'll get recognized. I go to a, you know, I go to a fitness event, I'll get recognized. And you know, now it's been, it's, <laughs> it's funny because I'm a very like at a fitness event or whatever, like I'll, I'll be very outgoing and I'll take time with everybody. I'll make sure like, you know, I try to make sure that everybody like feels like they got a chance to talk to me and you know take a picture or whatever. But sometimes when I'm out, just like hanging out with friends or I'm out with my kids and I get stopped, I won't be standoffish or anything like that, but it'll catch me off guard. You know, I won't be, you know, flipped on. It'll catch me off guard because I'm not used to, you know, that sort of situation. Um, you know, it's good. It's good and bad. I try to focus on the positive stuff of it. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine because yeah, I imagine sometimes you just want to be on your own and do your own thing. And then you're like, oh, it kind of catches you off guard. But at the same time, it's kind of like your own creation in many ways. And you've done a really good job when I think about like you're, you're one of the, the OGs of evidence-based kind of bodybuilding as it were. And I yeah. think uh, like I'm, I'm still wrapped up in that. And I think a lot of people are. You've done a great job of breaching into like the wider kind of ranks as were the more kind of gen pop if we want to call it that is there anything you think you've done in particular that's allowed you to kind of breach that gap i think part of it is just your personality which is i think almost coaching for you you are lost on that like that wasn't your like the thing for you because you have such a great personality in a way of kind of providing information being able to kind of display that to the world is important yeah i think i have ability to connect with people and i think that's what made me a good coach for a long period of time um <clears throat> And, you know, I, I, I think I've figured out what my wheelhouse is, which is like, I'm a, I'm a, a good communicator, like a good science communicator. I can take, I do a relatively, I think, good job of taking complex topics and simplifying to the point where people can understand, but not so much to the point where it loses the nuance of the topic, right? Like I can, I can still keep that. And a big credit to my PhD advisor, Dr. Don Lehman. He he mentored me a lot in that. And I'll never forget when I was doing my PhD exit seminar, I said, you know, who should I gear this towards? Because like, there's going to be my mom in the audience. There's going to be like, you know, everyday people in the audience and there's going to be professors. And he looked at me and said, I should learn something from your presentation and your mom should learn something from the presentation. And I was like, oh, and that's the hardest, that's the hardest to write for, you know, because um, it really is difficult to bridge that gap. Um, and so that's something I felt like I've done well. And so that's where I feel like my wheelhouse is, you know, really um, trying to function as that bridge between like hardcore science and the average person. And I think one of the best compliments I ever got was from um, Jeremy Linicky. And this was, I'll, I'll never forget this, it was the day after World, IPF Worlds in 2015 which is, you know, um, I set a world squat record and, and whatnot. And Jeremy said, you know, I don't know anybody. He's like, it's hard enough to get respected 
in one discipline by the top people in that discipline. And he's like, you're in three different disciplines that you're very well respected, which is, you know, you could pretty much, if you wanted to talk to, you know, a big wig in powerlifting, you can do that. Uh, if you want to talk to somebody in bodybuilding, you can do that. And then if you want to talk to somebody in academia, you can do that. And and everybody respects you, or most people are going to respect you in those three disciplines. But I think it's just a, you know, it's just a lot of volume of work over the years. And I was fortunate enough to find the thing that I was really into when I was really young and I just stuck with it. You know, I think most people, I think they say the average career changes like every five years. I think people just get bored, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like people, you know, get passionate about other stuff. But I've always just, this is my thing, man. I, I love training. Um, I was always super interested in nutrition and, uh, and obviously like there's a lot of thirst for, for, for that knowledge. And there's a lot of bad, education out there and so i really feel like you know i've kind of got a a uh, a very secure job you know yeah yeah and i'd even uh, in addition to those three i'd even give you a fourth of like being respected by i guess like business men or what have you like entrepreneurs like i would say you can kind of talk to them because when i think about where like an online coach could go and the steps forward and like what other avenues there are like you've done everything <laughs> like i can't really think of much more you could have done to maximize what an entrepreneur within like starting with their online coaching could have done which i think is like super commendable thank you yeah i mean entrepreneurship is i never like was growing up like man i want to be an entrepreneur it just kind of happened like that yeah. you know just kind of happened like that and um you know i I've, I've certainly like i would never you know consider myself like a business coach or anything like that. Like I, I have made so many mistakes. I still, you know, if people knew the behind the scenes, there's been a lot of mistakes I've had to work to, you know, either repair or undo or whatnot. And, you know, mistakes are fine, but you know, if I'd had that um, like a formal business education background, I probably could have avoided a lot of those, but you know, then I wouldn't have built the following in fitness that I have. So it, you know, it, it is what it is. And, um, you know, I think uh, I tell people like, even though the mistakes are frustrating because I look at, I think about where I could be, you know, business-wise, financially, all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I've done really well, uh, but it could have been way different. But I'm also like, well, you know, I kind of had to make those mistakes and it happened how it happened. And I think I'm, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day um, and I, I referred to myself as an optimist. And I think, you know, sometimes she sees me like, uh, like she sees me like really anxious. She's like, really? You think you're an optimist? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do think I'm an optimist. Cause I think my life has been pretty kick-ass, you know, like I've had, I don't know, probably over a dozen like moments in my life that a lot of people would give anything just to have one of those, you know? And so to me, like, you know, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to get too philosophical, but when I get to the end of my life, what is it other than just looking back on a series of, you know, moments and the more chance i get to have some of those epic moments i mean to me that's what it's all about in fact i'm not to go too off the deep end but i was talking to somebody i was talking to ryan lapidat who runs uh, the king of the lifts podcast i don't know if you're familiar with that I but uh, you know this was when the ipf and U and usa powerlifting split and there was a big you know obviously people had to pick whether we're going to stay with usa powerlifting or go to powerlifting america and uh, like, I love USA powerlifting. I guess nothing, absolutely nothing bad to say about them. 
Um, I went with Powerlifting America just because I, I wanted a path to go to world championships. And some people were saying, well, you can win money at these USA powerlifting events. Like you can, you know, you can win, you know, IPF doesn't pay. And uh, <laughs> Ryan and I were chuckling about it because I was, Ryan was like, Lane, how much money would somebody have to pay you to take the experience from IPF Worlds away from you? Like to take, to not have that experience. I don't know if there's an amount of money you could pay, you know, because I can't buy back something like that. I can't buy back like hitting a world record in front of my friends and family. And for that moment, I was the best in the world at that particular lift for my weight class, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just look at life as like, I want to set myself up to have as many of those kind of moments and, you know, whether it's business or, or, or personal or whatever, have as many of those epic moments as I can. Is it fair to say then, Lane, that like Lane the athlete is a bigger priority to you than like Lane the businessman? Like are the accolades <laughs> of making money less important to you than the accolades of potential in like your powerlifting? So I think once, once I got to a certain amount of income, it was kind of like gravy for me. You know, I, I, I had said to um, a friend of mine, you know, because I was talking about juggling everything, like your kids, entrepreneurship, powerlifting. And I had said, you know, if it came down to it, like this is going to sound very flippant. And I, I don't want to be flippant because um, I realize it's a lot of money. Um, but like I've, I've worked really hard and been in the position I'm in. But I was like, hey, you know, if it meant I had to give up powerlifting or make like 50 or 100K less, I just make less money because like I already do well enough, um, you know? So for me, it's like, I'd rather have some more of those moments, you know? Um, and maybe one day that'll change. Maybe one day that'll change. But, you know, right now it's kind of like, you know, I, like I tell people like, and it actually, this is, this is evidence-based for happiness. If you look up the research on happiness, what you spend, what money can, what kind of happiness can money buy you? Like what way can money make you more happy? It's not through material things. Those are very, very short. That's that quick dopamine hit, you're done. It is by experiences and buying your time back. And that's what money gives you is the flexibility to buy your time back. So I cut lawns growing up. I painted stuff. I did chores around the house. I don't do my lawn. I don't clean my pool. I don't really do chores around the house. I'm a housekeeper. You know, like I spend almost virtually any extra money I spend goes into back into my businesses or buying my time back so that I can spend that with kids, um, friends, that sort of stuff. You know, and, and I found that at least for me, it just gives me the flexible and then experiences like flying to places, you know, doing stuff like I was just over in Greece for a seminar. And then I went to some of the Greek islands and like that was unbelievable experience. That was not cheap, but it's like, I mean, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. If I buy a, a nice watch, I mean, okay, cool. But like that, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff just doesn't matter to me. So, you know, for me, I look at, like the athlete side of things in the same vein, I get to buy back, you know, time to spend doing something that I'm truly passionate about. 
that makes a lot of sense and it doesn't surprise me to know that like the the athlete in you is like i don't know it's the thing that started everything right kind of paying homage to that too as well uh you don't have a home gym do you lane you have you go to you train well um, i yes and no um so i did have a home gym i'm in the process of selling my current home and i had it we had it under contract and then the the sale fell through and I'd already sold my home gym. So I did, now I don't. But on the plus side, most of my equipment I sold, I sold to uh, actually MI40 here in Tampa, which is owned by Ben Pakulski and his wife. And uh, I sold it to them, so I still use it. So like my belt squat, is <laughs> great. Like I just, you know, I basically got paid to go use my same equipment. But, um, you know, I, I do, I did like having a home gym. Uh, just, I, I like to train in a gym just because it's like, it's just a nice atmosphere. You know, some people are like, again, I'm an extrovert. I'm outgoing. I don't necessarily want to talk to anybody when I train, Yeah. but it's just nice to be in an environment where people are training hard. Um, but it was nice to have that. Like, you know, if I was, if I had to train on a weekend, for example, where I had the kids and I didn't have a sitter or anything like that, you know, I just go out in the, the gym and, you know, Kids can, can watch TV for an hour or something like that. I can pop out my workout real quick and, and get back in. But, you know, just just got to reframe, refocus. And I would, you know, I would buy back my equipment, but obviously still trying to sell the house. Don't know what I'm going to be in in the future. So, you know, I'm just kind of hitting pause on that until, you know, I get the, the house sold and move on to the next phase. Yeah, no, it makes it makes tons of sense. I totally see like when after the pandemic and everything and I was buying equipment to train like in my flat, I was like, oh, I definitely want a home gym eventually. And then I was like, man, I want so many pieces of equipment. It's just for especially as a bodybuilder, when you're trying to you know, have as much variety as possible almost in, at certain times and have that equipment available. It's just like, that's ah, it's not going to work. And like you said, if it's a good gym environment, there's, there's something priceless about that that you can't emulate from home. But I can definitely I see that like the time thing is a commitment there and you don't have to wait around for any kit or anything when you're at home. <laughs> right. No. And that, and that's the thing I'm always weighing. Like if it's, you know, if it's something where I've got to get in and get it out quick, obviously you can't be at home. Um, but I also found because I work from home when I would train at home, it was just hard to flip the switch. You know, like I'm, you know, I've really become big on the fact that you probably should have rituals, you know, like uh, my best training has always been, when I'm at home having the same, you know, ritual, of, like even like right down to where I'm eating my pre-workout meal, what I'm doing, you know, the drive, all that kind of stuff. And I think that humans, when you throw in, you know, other things, we don't realize it, but it's like micro stresses. You know what I mean? Like there's like micro stresses, I guess is the way I put it. Um, and I have no evidence to back this up. I'm just spitballing. But I do think there is something to like having those rituals. And so I think when you're used to working at home and then training at a gym and you go working at home and then training at home, it maybe doesn't have, it's, it, it was hard for me to flip that switch. I can have some anecdotal support for that because it just happened today. Sometimes my clients will, like my online coaching clients will come to my gym and we're trained together. And I ended up failing on a rep where I was like, I would not normally fail on that rep. I just hack squat, just didn't get it up. I was like, man, and this session took twice as long, of course. I'm just like, man, I, I like, it's great training with people, but at the same time, when I'm so used to training solo, it, it throws in that micro stress, like you said, and it just yeah. through the session. So yeah, I totally see absolutely. that. 
You mentioned uh, you obviously keep up to date with the research and everything at the moment. I, in, I'm pretty sure you had a, a video on uh, the new meta-analysis or what was it called? Meta-aggression from Zach uh, Robinson yep. and uh, et al. And uh, I just would love to hear if that changed any of your perspectives surrounding kind of failure and reps and reserve and, and, and any of that. Yeah, I would say I, has it changes, changed? I would say it's shifted me a little bit, right? So... I, I think I still hold the same general idea. I think that what I would term effective reps has probably changed a little bit. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, this meta-analysis by Zach Robinson, he is a student of Michael Zordos who, you know, anybody, Mike may not be a big name in fitness, but if you've ever done any kind of digging into evidence-based resistance training, Mike Zordos should be a big name for you, um, especially if you're interested in powerlifting. So uh, Zach is actually my coach for powerlifting. So he does all my programming. Uh, and so when this meta-analysis came out, I saw all these opinions. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to call Zach and get his opinion, you know? Because what, what better person to get uh, an opinion of their own data than, than the person who did it? Because, you know, you're very restricted in terms of, like, your opinions you can give in a scientific paper. But if I'm just spitballing with somebody, I'm like, you know, a lot of times uh, I've done this with like you know, business coaches or attorneys. I'll say, okay, I, I understand you have, you can have to give me very isolated advice for liability reasons. Now I'm going to ask you, if it was you, what would you do? Right. Um, and so I asked Zach, you know, here's what some people are saying. What's your, what's your, what's your role take like practically. And it's pretty much in line with what my take is, which is, um, the vast majority of people do not train hard enough. And you pro you don't need to train to failure. And even his research shows you don't really need to train to failure, but you got to get pretty freaking close. And I can tell you that the discomfort of stopping one or two reps shy of failure versus actually going to true failure is not that much different. Okay. Like um, I did an interview with Mike, uh, Mike Israel a while back. You know, and because he was talking about training to RPE eight or nine, and people were like, oh, you know, you're training, you're you're not training hard enough, this and that, and Mike showing like videos of him like puking in the gym, you know, and I think you know, for example, I did a set of squats. I think my best ever set of squats for high reps. I did five thirty five for ten reps. Okay, um, when I got done with that. I was so fatigued and out of oxygen, I couldn't even rack the bar. Um, like the, the, the uprights were just a little, like just a little bit, like a half inch to, it didn't matter. I could, like, I could not fully lock out my erectors and somebody had to actually run over and save me because I was not going to be able to rack this bar. And um, then once it got it racked, I, collapsed on the ground and I did not move for about 20 minutes. Like I was, it was that physiologically taxing, not just on my muscular system, but like mentally to like push myself that hard. And then just my lungs, like I just sat there and just heaved air for probably 10 minutes. And so I like what Mike said about that sort of set. He said, so you're telling me if I stop one or two reps shy of that, that it's easy. Like, no. And I think this is what a lot of people don't understand. That set 
the first rep was hard. Like the first rep was not easy. Okay. The first rep was hard. The second, I actually posted a video of, um, I think my best deadlift set I ever did was like 635 for like eight or nine reps on deadlift years ago. And uh, I'm like, watch this set. When do you think I'm going to fail? And, you know, most people would comment, oh, I thought like on rep five or six, you were done. And then I did, you know, two or three more. And then when you even the, the one before the last rep, it looks like that's it. You know, I'm like, most people just have no idea how hard they really can push. They really don't know, which is why, like, when we look at research where people are asked to estimate their RPE and then are pushed to absolute failure by the researchers, and we're talking like they turn the music up, they're yelling and screaming at them, encouraging them. People underestimate their reps to failure by about five, right? So if they're in a set, and they say, how close to failure are you? And they say, uh, two reps. If they push them, they get seven more. You know, So most people think about failure as discomfort, like really strong discomfort, when in reality, true failure is way different. Um, and so I think Zach's research just supports that, which is you have to learn how to push yourself if you really want to get you know, the most muscle mass you can possibly get. Now, the research on strength was actually quite interesting. The research on strength did not show the same thing. Uh, so the research on strength showed that it's not only does training to failure not seem to matter that much. What actually seems to matter is creating as much force on each rep as you possibly can. And when I say force, if you think about the, the strength velocity curve, what that means is at a light load, I am moving it as fast as humanly possible. And so one of the things that we do in our, that, well, I don't, we don't do in our programming, Zach does in his programming, is whatever load is being selected, if it's not a top set, and by top set, I mean like RPE, like you're getting into the RPE five and up, okay? If it's not one of those, uh, let's say RP7 and up. He's probably, he's selecting the weight and then is going to select the reps to keep it under RPE6 or 7 for back offsets. Because if you think about, like, let's say, um, let's say I could do 475 for eight reps, right? By the eighth rep, it's moving pretty slow. My force production is low due to fatigue. Instead of doing like say two sets of eight or three sets of eight, you're probably better off doing like six sets of four with the same load because you can keep the RPE low, the speed high, and you can keep the force high. So, and again, like people will get too dichotomous with this. They'll go, oh, well, I'm not gonna grow muscle if I'm doing that. No, no, you still grow muscle. Like that's, that's not what this research is saying. What it's saying is if you want to grow the most muscle possible, you probably need to take sets to close to failure or failure, okay? If you want to be the strongest possible human, then it's more about generating as much force as possible. But there is considerable overlap between those two, okay? We're talking about the last 5 to 10% minutiae details. So my practical take home for people is 
whether you're a powerlifter or or whether you're into powerlifting, strength gain, or hypertrophy, if you're not making progress and you're, you know, let's say you're not, you haven't been doing this 10 years or whatever, because at a certain point, progress just becomes very incremental. If you're not making progress, it's much more likely that you're either not training hard enough, and if you're training hard enough, it's probably because you're not appropriately recovering in terms of sleep, proper nutrition, uh, and management of stress and management of total volume over a period of time. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. I think that was a, a, a great summary. Uh, I don't know. You probably won't have known. We had Zach. I had Zach on. Um, I don't know how long ago now. And uh, yeah, like to get him on. And that's kind of been my approach recently is trying to get the the researchers on because like otherwise, like you said, people can have opinions on it, but it gets a little bit challenging because I don't know how much bias comes in there. Whereas he's actually ran the study and he kind of knows it inside out. He knows like the meta aggression, how they did the kind of statistical analysis, which I think some people have some critiques about and things so uh but i like your take and because it kind of again i kind of took my take i guess from zach too where it's just like it kind of shifted me a little bit edging where i was maybe thinking ah oh, three four isn't too different from like a like two one zero it's like i actually shift all that one a little bit further so i'm right. getting that much closer and yeah the research on kind of people's ability to prox approximate rars is super interesting because like there are some where people are way off and then there's some where it shows that they're actually pretty reasonable at it. Maybe they're off. I think there was a meta-analysis that showed they're off by like one repetition on average. And it's kind of like how they set that up often plays into it too, which I think you you have always done a great job of is like, hey, you got to read how they've done the methods in a paper because that, yeah. you can't just read the, the outcome because that could they could have set the, the paper up in a way that's just going to lead to certain results. Well, I always say, like, people will say, well, this was a bad study. This is bad. Very rarely will you hear me say it's a bad study. Um, what I'll say is, I, I might say, I don't agree with the author's conclusions based on the methods they used um, and the way the study was conducted and their results. I don't agree with their takeaway. But data is just data. Like, there's no reason to get, like, pissed off about it. You know, and I think that's where you can really see. So my... Like, obviously, people are like, well, and you get pissed off all the time. But that is around the claims that are made based on some of these studies. And almost, and the other thing I get a lot too is people will say, why well, don't, why don't, when stuff doesn't support what they want it to support, you know, they go, well, you know, then they just try to dismiss everything outright. Well, all these studies are bought and paid for. And I don't trust science because, you know, one study says one thing and one study says another thing. And it's almost without fail. 
any time I've seen a study that where I go, huh, that doesn't fit in terms of what people are telling me the study said, or when I read the conclusions, if I actually go in and I look at how, what subjects they used, how they randomized them, how they set up the study, what they found, their actual results, not just the their discussion and conclusions, the actual results. I 99% of the time, I'm like, of course they found that. Like, you know, like uh, uh, it makes sense as to why they found what they found. Unfortunately, people's hot takes in social media, you know, are what gets the sound bites. And people don't, people unfortunately don't look up references to actually see it. And, and most people honestly don't have the wherewithal to understand it anyway. Um, and so, like, I, I remember, I'll never forget, um, hopefully I can name drop, but uh, I, I've gone after Dave Asprey a few times. And um, he, he he never responds to me by name, which is very smart on his part, by the way, because yeah. um, it wouldn't go well for him. And, but he had a video where I think he was kind of trying to respond to like, some of the things I'd said because I'd been critical of his comments about uh, aspartame. And he made the mistake of citing a study and actually giving the PubMed ID. See, most of these guys don't just say there was a study and they did this. And then there's no way to look it up, so you can't disprove it. Um, but he actually gave the PubMed ID and said, you know, these, these subjects uh, gained more body fat and it ruined their gut microbiome. And I'm like, I am going to bet dollars to donuts that that is not what the study said. So I go look up the study and of course it was in rodents, it wasn't in people. And then they actually found that the rodents that got aspartame lost more body fat than the rodents <laughs> that didn't. Um, they did see some alterations from the gut microbiota, but again, as I've talked about many times, we don't know enough about the gut microbiota to understand if these changes are good, neutral, or bad. Um, in fact, in some of these studies, in one of the studies on sucralose, they found an increase in the population of bacteria that produce butyrate. Well, butyrate actually has quite a bit of data behind it suggesting it improves insulin sensitivity and metabolic markers of health. So I'm like, okay, like you, there's actually just as likely of a chance that it could be good alterations to the gut microbiome. So I, you know, I just think, um, you know, I'm kind of one of these people like, hey, let's like sit back and let's, you know, but before we make big big claims about stuff. Let's see what happens. You know, I think when I was younger, when I was a young biochemist, because that's what my bachelor's was in, I would get really excited about mechanistic data and single studies. And just over the course of several decades of seeing 99% of that stuff never work out. And I, I just kind of like when these studies come out, I, I go, I will wake me up when there's 10, you know, and it's in humans and, and whatnot. And this is a guy who did all most of his research in animals. You know, I understand the benefits of animal research, you know, but you can't just make claims around animal research. It has to be, you know, validated in humans and that's all. It's so scary that like, again, he literally stated an opinion, like uh, his interpretation of a study that I don't know, he didn't even read the study or I don't even know what happened, but how many people say, are going and finding that study like you did. Right. Well, the same thing with like, you know, Paul Saladino talking about oatmeal and the, the, um, the, the phytates and oatmeal. Like, first off, phytates are almost, you know, drastically de degraded by cooking. So if you're cooking your oats, not a big deal. And oh, by the way, let's just go look at the human outcome data of what happens when people eat more oatmeal. Because if this stuff is really as bad as he's saying, 
we should be able to pick it up in the human outcome data. And what do we see? People eat more oatmeal, have better markers of metabolic health, lower, lower risk of cardiovascular disease, lower risk of cancer. So maybe, the, maybe these phytates are having a negative effect, but it's more than compensated by the positive components of oatmeal, obviously. And so I think that's what people miss is they, you have to understand that a mechanism, there are like, when you talk about a human outcome, say loss of body fat, cardiovascular disease, pick your outcome. That is the summation of thousands of different pathways and mechanisms coming together. And so, sure, you can point out this one pathway or mechanism that may have a negative impact, but what if that same food has 900 positive impacts, right? Like, so that's why it's so important to, yes, we should, we should understand mechanisms, but we should really focus on the outcomes. And I think so many people get caught up in that. And that, um, it was a great, uh, Mike Israel told in the video the other day about seed oils, which is now the, the popular thing. Um, and he talked about, hey, here's this human outcome data showing this. And then first comment, of course, but Mike, what about oxidation? And it's like, okay, first off, there really isn't good evidence that in humans, if the seed oils aren't rancid, that they cause oxidation, like in humans. But let's say let's let's say it did. Let's say it did compared to like saturated fat or whatnot. Okay. Well then if it's really that bad, we should pick it up in the the disease incidents. But we, what we see is they're either neutral or positive when it comes to cardiovascular disease, cancer, and those sorts of things. So again, it's like all right, there could be this mechanism that exists, but obviously it's not powerful enough to wash out the positive benefits that they're getting from those things. So, I mean, it's just so easy. And, and what's funny is it's always these like low carb or carnivore people who are pointing out the, the evils of seed oil. I guess enough evidence, they couldn't get enough evidence against sugar. And so now it's moved to seed oils. Um, and what's funny is it's like, do you know how many components of meat that I could pick out and that have mechanistic data to show that they are horrible for human health, you know, like heterocyclic amines, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, uh, heme iron, uh, TMAO, like all those have actually probably stronger mechanistic data to support their negative health effects. But what should that shouldn't matter? What should matter is like, hey, do we actually see this in human outcome data? And most people, you know, they get focused on the wrong things, I think, because it's sexier. Yeah, I think that was, I was going to ask you why, like, I can't understand why these people, once they've been educated by someone like yourself or like Mike, and they've been corrected, I don't understand why they wouldn't change their, their view. And I don't know, like, you know why. Because, because it becomes an identity. Because people get, so what we've actually seen is, um, I have atheist friends who will say that humanity is getting smarter. And I've said, no, they're just shifting to something else. So as um, faith and religion has declined, what you are seeing is that people are looking for that tribalism somewhere else. And so they are picking up other things. Now, it's not always just nutrition. People have identities about all kinds of stuff. I mean, look at politics. My gosh. Like, I think you're better off arguing about religion than you are about politics. People get way more nasty about politics. Um, 
And then the same thing with nutrition. I, I think that most people, unfortunately, care, are so insecure about their own beliefs that they want to bring other people into their way of thinking because it will help justify that what they're doing is the best thing. And, and I know, like, you know, my example of this is like when I first like found flexible dieting, it was like, wow, you know, this was this is amazing. Like, I'm so consistent with my nutrition, I'm getting such great results. But I never said, hey, this boosts metabolism by 50%. Or I never, you know, it would be like, okay, this thing worked for me because I got more adherent. I don't feel the need to convince you to do it. I've, I'm always going to, you know, like people thought I was kind of like telling people they should be flexible dieting. No, I'm not saying you should be doing that. But if you make ridiculous claims about it, I'm going to debunk those claims. And so people are so black and white with their thinking, they can't disconnect the two. But I never felt the need to go prove that what I was doing was better than every, what everybody else was doing. It worked for me. Why do I care if somebody else wants to do something different? I don't care if you want to do low carb. I don't even care if you want to do carnivore. But don't tell me the sky is red when the sky is blue. Like, don't tell me that carnivore is the optimal diet for human health, because it's not, okay? And so I, I think that, you know, people have said, well, how do you, well, I've lost 50 pounds and I feel great. Cool, good for you. I've no problems with that. But don't tell me fiber is bad for you. Don't tell me vegetables are bad for you. They give you a little tummy ache. Okay, poor thing. But like, that doesn't mean they're bad for you. And so I just think that, you know, people get so entrenched in these positions. And a classic study on this was in politics. And I think it was around 2009. They took uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans. So right wing and left wing. I think the political conservative versus non-conservative, right? For, versus progressive. Because I know over in the UK, it's a little bit different. Like um, in Australia too, like the liberals are actually the conservatives and it's, it's flipped. Gets confusing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, but they showed um, data to each people from each political party that would either refute, directly refute, or support a previous position that they held. And they found that it didn't matter what they showed them. Both things were equally as effective at reinforcing the person's beliefs. So what I always say is like, I think the majority of people believe what they want to believe. And I'm just trying to reach those independents out there who have an actual brain in their head, who are willing to think for themselves. But I, I will say I have had some people who have reached out to me over the years and said, man, I used to be hardcore low carb, I used to be hardcore carnivore. I used to be hardcore vegan, you know, pick your pick your kind of nutritional tribalism. And I used to hate you. And then I just, over time, your logic was too undeniable. And I'm like, see, there were a few brain cells left in there that were allowed to populate and, you know, grow and, and progress. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I see it regularly, like uh, uh, just as a pure example, there'd be a podcast coming out of Mike. And he was posting about his recent competition, how he didn't do as well as he would like. And then people started giving him feedback. It's always the feedback of just like they want him to they want him to join their like camp. They're like, oh, stop training with such good technique. Stop stop leaving any reps in reserve. You've got to train hardcore. You're having too many processed foods in your diet. That's what it, the, that's what's causing you wrong. And it's like I think you're right in terms of the way where they're coming from. They're not trying to help Mike here, really. 
they're just hoping he joins their tribe because then they feel stronger and more secure in their beliefs. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, I, I love Mike. Like, I, I haven't spent much time with him, but uh, we agree on many things. Um, and I think he's hilarious, too. But, like, he does not have the best physique for bodybuilding. Like, he's, he's built kind of like a fridge. You know, he's just not that aesthetic. He's done amazing with what he has, okay? But, like, him, like, he just needs more time under tension and to get, you know, a little bit leaner and, and smooth out some of these areas that are weaknesses for him, and that will come with time. But is he ever going to be on an Olympia stage? Probably not, you know? But he's still done amazing for what he had genetically. Like, you know, and I think, like, it's like this internet. Um, if you can't be world champion, it's a waste of your time. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I'm just like, guys, if we're only doing things that we can be the best in the world at, like, can you make that a goal? Sure. That's fine. I'm all for it. I'm here for it. I've had that goal. And I've, I've been that, you know. But I do powerlifting because it's fun. Like, I do it because it's fun. If you told me I could never get stronger or never get another ounce of muscle, I would still do it because I have fun with it, you know? And I, it's just this, it's this weird culture of all or nothing. You know, if I can't, if you can't win the Olympia, what's the point? You're wasting your time, you know? Um, it's like boxers when they lose one, one match, oh, he's a bum. And it's like, no, he's not. Or people like watching, a, you know, an American football game and, saying this guy sucks. I'm like, do you realize that guy who sucks, who's a starter, by the way, in the NFL, was a stud on his college team. So he's like in the top 0.1% of college athletes, which, by the way, to get into college and to get a scholarship and to be a stud in college, he had to be in the 0.1% of high school student athletes. And to be the starting, you know, whatever, quarterback, on his high school team, he had to be in the top one percent. Like, do you realize like how small this population of people is? Like, yeah, when you're watching him on TV against other 0.0001% of the population, okay, he looks like he sucks. But he would rule. I was I was watching a, an interview with um Bradley Martin and Brendan Schaub the other day. And I I like Brad and I like Brendan. Um but Brad said that he thought he could take any 125 pound fighter in the world. And I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, no, Brad, no, no. You, 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 yes, all things being equal, size matters. This person literally does this for a living. This is like saying, okay, Brad, you're big and strong. Let's put you up against the best, like, lighter class. Let's put you up against Taylor Atwood in a powerlifting meet. Taylor Atwood would destroy you in a powerlifting meet, right? So, you know, I, I realize I've kind of jumped around here, but I think people don't really get a, a great appreciation for people at the top of what they do, just how freaking good they are and how ridiculously hard it is to get there. And so when they see people like Mike getting fifth at nationals, which, by the way, is really good really good because even masters nationals of the npc is very competitive they go oh well, if you just change these things like he hasn't thought of that like he hasn't left other things like come on guys yeah 
no, I think it's that that's super well said. And and uh, whenever I think about like people only like they're like, oh, why do you bother with bodybuilding when you're not like a pro after ten years or whatever? I'm like, if I had that attitude to everything in life, I'd just like not do anything. <laughs> like I'm better never going to be the best. <laughs> you're not Joe Rogan. Better quit your podcast. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I always like the idea of actually like when you do most things for longer than the average would do them, you end up becoming better than average. So like, oh my, yeah, like, the podcast. Course or like bodybuilding, for example. So, and I think you said it right in terms of like, you enjoy the journey. Like if you weren't world champion or you hadn't made the record lifts you'd made, you'd still be trying to do that. You'd still be aiming for that and you'd still be going. And by, so that's called trusting the process, enjoying the process. And by the way, if you want to be the best, you better do that anyway. Yeah. And actually, on the note of bodybuilding, this is a question I had for you. You probably get it all the time. Is there any chance you're looking to go back to that? Is there any like uh, master's competitions for you in, oh, in your man. future? I actually don't know how old you are, Lane. So I apologize. I'm, for I'm 41. I'm, okay. I'm 41. Just about there. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 13 years. Um, definitely nothing on the horizon that he planned. I would stop short of saying I'm completely retired and will never do it again. Um, I can't foresee a situation and me competing anytime in the next few years, especially with four kids. Um, but I never want to rule anything out, you know, um, maybe I'll get the itch again, be tired of powerlifting. Do you still have, when you diet down, do you get ever the itch? Do you like hit some bodybuilding shots? You're like, ah, I've still got it. <laughs> uh, sure. Like me and Jeff Nipper did a video up in Canada oh, yeah. and we, uh, we took some posing shots and I was like, oh, Jeff's going to make me look stupid. And then we looked at him like, oh dang, I actually like, I still got it. You know, so yeah, I definitely have had those moments. And do you incorporate with your routines with, that you do of Zach? Are they, I guess at the moment, because you're competing, they're very specific towards powerlifting. But you, when you're out of kind of competition prep, do you incorporate a lot of the bodybuilding work still back in there for yourself? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like I do like quite a bit of accessory work that's you know higher rep range, you know, you know eight to fifteen reps, that sort of thing. With you know more like. Uh, machines, machine compound movements or isolation movements, you know, still building base level strength and hypertrophy because if you have more hypertrophy, it, it increases the the governor on your strength that you can build and vice versa. So uh, yeah, we still, we still do some of that stuff. Very cool. Lane, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been amazing chatting to you and catching up. I'll have to get you back on at least in the next two years. Uh, I'm excited to see, maybe you'll have competed in bodybuilding at that point, then I'm definitely bringing you back on. Uh, but <laughs> thank you for your time as always. And I know you said you've got a few things that you're running at the moment. What What do you want to let the audience know about? I know the Physique Academy is one of them particularly that I think the audience would be yeah, interested in. Yeah, I mean, in. like that's probably the biggest thing that I'm really excited about is the Physique Coaching Academy with myself and uh, Professor Bill Campbell. Um, Bill's phenomenal. Um, and we... Basically, I, I try to think about if if somebody wanted to get a college level or university level education in coaching people, what what could we build to do that? And so, you know, like there's there's personal training certifications out there, there's nutrition certifications out there. There's not there's not really much that like marry brings those two together, with also like supplementation, aerobic exercise, all anything to modify body composition. So we exclusively focused on that. We said, okay, we're going to give you a university level education in everything you need to know with this stuff and nothing you don't. Right. So like, we don't, we don't go into like specifics of like, Hey, vitamin C does this. And you know, this is the RDA and all that. We don't, we don't do that. You know, 
But if you want to learn how to get people stronger, build more muscle, lose more body fat, we can teach you how to be some of the best at that and be an authority at that. And so, yeah, it's an eight, it's an eight month mentorship program. Um, you have to have some sort of prerequisite, whether it's, uh, we, we show the ones that you can take on our, on our site. Um, but you either got to be a, have a certification in personal training, uh, have some sort of college degree in a relevant field, uh, or have taken one of the prereq courses. So uh, we don't just take anybody, um, but it's eight months mentorship. We also do weekly calls with our students. Um, and uh, the feedback on it so far has been phenomenal. Like our textbook is over 600 pages. Uh, we have, you know, video lectures. We really, it's a lot of like diversified learning. So uh, the feedback so far has been amazing and we're super excited about it. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, for a lot of the listeners, ideal, I think, because I think a lot of coaches, especially like physique competitors or coaches of that type or ilk, people who want to get into online coaching, like you said, there's not, like you can do, I don't know, they might go and do degrees and it's like, how specific is this to the job I eventually want? There's probably people listening that literally want to be like an online coach or like a one-on-one PT with physique competitors, so it sounds ideal. If you want to be an online coach, this is the course for you. Amazing. Lane, I'll make sure I have the link to that and all your socials, of course. And guys, thank you for listening. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, man. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though. It's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The Minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.